there, weary traveler. Welcome to the inn. Sit, sit, rest your feet. Why, it's a long journey on the road to Tavalon. Have a cup of tea. Or maybe a frothy ale. The light. Why, you're just in time for the entertainment. Here are your hosts, Tracy and Amber. Once the sword is drawn, you become a warrior, always with it near you in preparation to fight the shadow. Will you draw this blade and join us as a man? Kimon looked up, then took the hilt in a firm grip and pulled the weapon free. Rise as a man, my son, Melinarin declared. Kimlin stood, holding the weapon aloft, the bright blade reflecting the diffuse sunlight. The men atop the tower cheered. It was no shame to find tears in one's eyes at such a moment. Melinarin blinked them free, then knelt down, buckling a sword belt at his son's waist. The men continued to cheer and yell, and he knew it was not only for his son. They yelled defiance of the shadow for a moment. Their voices rang louder than thunder. Towers of Midnight, prologue. <laughs> Who's got goosebumps? Me! I do. Oh my gosh, okay. <laughs> Hello and welcome back. I am here with my friend Tracy. I am here with my friend Amber. And this is the Road to Tarvalin, a Wheel of Time podcast. And if you haven't guessed Me. by our quote, today is all about the borderlands. And we're really excited. We've, I know Tracy is really excited. We've been talking about doing this for so long. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. we could make several episodes out of the Borderlanders and all of their things. So 101 is, yes, I'm excited. Yeah. Yay. Yay yeah. yeah bit of a fangirl. So should we just jump into it? Yes. Yes, we should. I Okay, before we jump into it, I just want to say thank you to people who leave ratings for us mm. wherever they listen mm-hmm. to the podcast because it's been a while since I checked and I was reading some of them and you guys, thank you. So kind. Thank you, thank you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's so helpful as well. Mm-hmm. And you have my undying gratitude. <laughs> Mine as and well. The, Thank you, Amber. Too. Yeah, I'm glad you said something. <laughs> it's wonderful. And now the Borderlands? Yes. From gratitude to killing. <laughs> yeah. I'm here for it. This is my kind of this is my kind of day. So to start out with, there are currently four Borderland nations, each of them which are sovereign and independent. There's Shinar, Arafel, Candor and Saldea, and all of them are pretty badass. <laughs> Just gonna throw that out there. Yeah, yeah. They. I, I don't even really have anything to add to that, except yes. <laughs> they do share a common cause or goal, and this would be to push back the blight, fight the blight, mm-hmm. and be this wall between the Westlands and the Blight. And mm-hmm. if you don't know what the Blight is, all of the Borderland nations are in the very north of the map. Yes. So you've got this mountain range, basically, mm-hmm. right above it, above these Borderland mm-hmm. nations. And then mm-hmm. the Blight is 
a bit further north, and despite the borderland nations being fairly cold, the blight is sicking, sickening, sickeningly hot, like sweltering mm-hmm. heat. The ground is just oozing, and it feels infected, basically. From Does it matter what it's oozing, or is it just <laughs> gross because it's oozing? Both. Just a question. Both. But there are creatures in the blight that are the most deadly, more deadly than some of the shadow spawn even. And mm-hmm. if you go into the blight, it's a pretty fair chance you're not going to come back out. And this is also mm-hmm. where the Trollocs pour into the Westlands from. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how they get spawned there and like end up like running south. I'm not sure how that really works, but that's where they come from. Maybe we need to do a Creatures of the Blight oh, 101. Oh, you know I'm already down. I'm a blight yeah. zoologist. I'm, I'm writing it down because I'm like, hmm. I, want, I wouldn't those, mind knowing more. You know those like tycoon games from the 2000s, like Zoo Tycoon or Roller Coaster Tycoon? I want like yes. a blight tycoon where I can have like <laughs> all my creatures and maybe set up an amusement park. It would be very cool. Uh, whoever's a developer, get going. Get on this it. Is a brilliant idea. Amber needs to see the real version. Please and thank you. Become your own Agonor. Like, just do it. Things I need to do and didn't know I needed to do. I love this. Become your own Agonor. (laughs) Gross. Okay. I'm sorry. So men in the Borderlands wear their sword at all times. They are all pretty much trained warriors from the time they can hold a sword. And Mm -hmm. so they're all trained independently and work together. So Mm -hmm. like each man is kind of responsible for as much as they can. And they do have like banner lords and stuff like that. But... This is a very cohesive environment between these four nations, their leaders, and their fighting men. Mm-hmm. They also have yeah. like many commonalities between the four nations. There's a great respect for the Aiel, and they some some of these borderland men might be fearful or hate Aiel, but there's respect there because it's kind of like yeah. this we recognize how deadly you are. I see you. You see me. Like, we can keep walking. We don't have to war, but there is... The deadly in me recognizes the deadly in you. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I did... I did want to make one comment on the war with the shadow section because you had written that there wasn't an elite military. And when I read that over in the notes, I my first response was, that's because they're all the elite military. They don't need one. They just are one. Right, right. <laughs> it's not like there is a official, mm-hmm. you know, military, really. It's like everyone is dedicated to the same thing and they all work together yeah i love that uh so then the other comment commonality is talking about the aiel 
the thing that I read that I thought was interesting is the shared view of shame that the Aiel and the Borderlanders share. Like, there's nothing worse to an Aiel than feeling shamed in front of your peers. Having toe. Yeah, and people in the Borderlands are similar. They just don't have such a complex formal code around it the way that the Aiel do. Some of them may have some, but it apparently like kind of changes the further west you go. I think the less strict the formal code and etiquette starts to feel, but it's still much more conservative than what you would find further south in mm-hmm. the Westlands. Yeah. Yes. I would agree. Yeah. And the last commonality that they share is there's a very like general lack of concern for anything that's going on like in the southern nations there throughout the wheel of time there are exceptions to this Mm -hmm. but for the most part the borderlands take care of their own and in doing (laughs) that they keep the westlands safe they don't worry about what southern lords are warring with who or fighting with what you know they've got something more important going on mm-hmm. and that's and just really life. nobody's nobody's really paying attention to what the borderlanders are doing like there are some people who are kind of sort of aware like tarvalon for one is very aware of what's happening in the borderlands one because they're tarvalon but also because those nations protect them directly because they're very close i didn't realize how close tarvalon was to the borderlands itself so yeah it's hard to care about people who don't care about you while you are sacrificing everything for their safety for exactly life to continue basically Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and that, so I, I I get it. That's a really good point about the location of Tarvalin, because if you go north from Tarvalin, it is basically like just like you would think like four main roads branching off to each one of these borderland yep. nations. Like it just mm-hmm. spreads like in a line directly north of Tarvalin. So. Yeah. It's almost like the branches of a tree from exactly. a single a single spot. <gasps> a trunk, if you will. Do all roads really lead to Tarvalin? <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're just the only ones that can't find our way there. <laughs> like Zoolander can't turn right. We've got to keep going in circles. Build some roundabouts, people. Yeah. Need them. Yeah, but that's uh, if, if the Borderlands fail, Trollocs pour in from the Blight, Tarvalin would probably be the first place that's yep. attacked, I would say. Yeah, they're right there. I sat and looked at the map last night. I've never looked at the Wheel of Time map as much as I do now, you know, like for the longest time, I had no idea where Emmons Field was. So I feel so I feel so knowledgeable even knowing where the <laughs> where the borderlands are and where the blight is and where Tarwin's gap is like those things start to like coalesce in my head now and I'm 
excited about it. Yeah, so there's the Mountain of Doom, Mountains of Doom, like north of the Borderlands, and then... Do you ever think that maybe this is a PR issue? Like, maybe had they given places more cheerful names, things would have gone differently. The Mountains of Doom, Mountains of Dance Party or something instead. I don't know. Well, you know Just... What's interesting about that is, like, Shale Ghoul used to be, like, a tropical resort <laughs> place. Right. In the Age of Legends. Mm-hmm. And the Borderlands are kind of, like, on the north of the map. So, I, I like, I give them, like, a Canadian, uh, like, <laughs> latitude, basically. Yes, I do, too. Because you hear about trees bursting mm-hmm. from cold like this is a yep. real thing that happens like if it gets to like below 40 or something like trees yep. will burst the sap in them mm-hmm. contains water they will explode and this is mentioned happening like within Valdara. and mm-hmm. if you have the blight north of that the blight is supposed to be like really hot and muggy mm-hmm. and warm and sweaty so like we've got a really weird climate change going on here yeah yeah and i just wonder like what would have the borderlands been like before the breaking of the world i mean were there volcanoes up there in the mountains of doom and maybe like Mm. thermal heat where it wasn't like super cold like i'm very Mm -hmm. interested in stuff like that yeah especially when you take into consideration how our world is formed and how shifting plates create different geographical structures Mm -hmm. for us to live in or overcome mountains of course being one of them volcanoes another like the fact that our world shifts and creates new spaces Mm -hmm. or destroys them is really kind of incredible. And I think the fact that Jordan used that as part of the breaking exemplifies how destructive it really was. Like when it says things like oceans became mountains and mountains became oceans, it's legit. So it is interesting to wonder, like, what would the borderlands have been like? What was there before? Yeah, exactly. Was there something there before? Right. Like, I mean, the mount, like you said, the mountains of doom, it sounds like really bad PR, right? But Mm -hmm. like, at what point did everything kind of like come up out of the ground? When did, when did the mountains show up there? And how did that Mm -hmm. affect the borderlands as a whole? I guess that goes pretty good into our next topic though yeah yeah the history history of changed borders yeah ruins fallen Mm -hmm. nations all of that yeah i thought i thought this the history of the borderlands it was i want to say it was very interesting but i say that all the time but it was really interesting because they're the only nations that really have remained roughly the same size in the same location as they were during Arthur Hawkwing's reign. And so they had all originally been provinces of Hawkwing's. And when everything started falling apart, they all got together and they were like, well, 
I like my spot. You like your spot. We've got things we need to do because the blight is still the blight. So let's just declare ourselves monarchs and <laughs> we'll continue to rule these areas in that way. And that's what they did. And that's how these nations have descended. The majority of them, I believe, still have rulership through a monarchy, don't they? I know El Arafel yeah, and all, Saldea do. They all do. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I thought as well. So anyway, they they decide that like everything that's happening in the Westlands is just they can figure their own shit out. They're going to stay where they are. And even as everything kind of starts to like form back up again, they still keep themselves kind of separate from the other places in the, the Westlands. The thing about this whole battle against the shadow, though, is that it's not always successful. And while we do have these kingdoms of warriors, basically, who are prepared for this fight, who know it's always coming, there are still losses. And one of the greatest ones, I don't I don't know if there are others that are mentioned. I think the one that we talk about most often is is Malkier though so yeah, definitely are there any other ones that we know of that are like lost regions in well in the borderlands yes and no because the area the kingdom that was Shinar used to be named something in the old tongue and it was an Ogier built nation and it was really beautiful and we know that there were a lot of Ogier steadings in this area, mm-hmm. thanks to our last episode. Da 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 da. And it fell, so it was pretty much like everything that was built there was lost, and they had to rebuild. So instead of this beautiful Ogier architecture, mm-hmm. now you've mm-hmm. got like strictly mm-hmm. defensive architecture and so like there are big changes that happened throughout time and mm-hmm. a lot that was lost but the borderlands being the borderlands a lot of them seem to be pretty self-reliant and pick themselves up so mm-hmm. except for yeah. like in the case of Malkir where when Malkir fell it fell to the blight. Like, it was just mm-hmm. overrun. So, yeah. like, it's not even hospitable to live there anymore. Mm-hmm. So what could you possibly do? It's mm-hmm. dead lands. I mean, you can't grow anything there. You can't live there. It's too mm-hmm. dangerous being in the blight. Like, it is currently yeah. sitting in the blight now. So There's no healthy water source. Yeah, what are you going to do? I mean, mm-hmm. and that's like... It's been totally corrupted at that point yeah and that's and i think oh, i'm sorry go ahead yeah like that's the fear for all of mm-hmm. these nations yeah because i was gonna what i was thinking when you were talking about how like the ruins have come about so like those cities had been built and they were destroyed by shadow armies is that right and then rebuilt but that land was never taken over by the blight, so they were still able to use it. Correct. Is that right? Okay, cool. I just wanted to make sure that I understood all of that because sometimes I get a little 
a little lost. The other thing that I think is worth mentioning since we're talking about like ruins and what was, it's mentioned how frequently entire villages will be taken by Trollocs for either cook pots or yes. turning into basically sacrifices for weapon making. Um, and so like thinking about those villages being left behind in the ruins that they become and like the overgrown places that must dot all over the borderlands because they live in such a dangerous and unpredictable place and they just do the best they can. Yeah. And I think too, though, like the mentality within the borderlands, like I feel like they would rather completely clear the land of everything mm. before mm -hmm. leaving anything behind. Ooh, that's a good point. But like, just get rid of it. Yeah, well, okay, should I move into Shinar because there's a yeah, good... Yeah, 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 let's do it. Okay, there's a good example here within Shinar. So they're, they have a famous saying in Shinar, and it's, peace favor your sword. And I mm. love that. And we've got, I mean, a lot of these borderland nations, like, they have the heart of poets, and I love it. Yes. And yeah. peace favor your sword, like, really invokes this feeling for me so just kind it of feels, an, oh go ahead i was just gonna say it it has it has the power of being a bit of an oxymoron where how can a sword ever be favored by peace and the fact that it's so simple and yet so evocative i think says so much about yeah. the borderlanders themselves because yeah. that's everything about them it's simple and powerful and passionate and i yeah and it's how efficient is that it. it's just four words but the meaning behind it you could write essays you know you could write novels right and jo robert you jordan could. did <laughs> so <laughs> he created entire nations around it yeah so if you I go far northeast Mm -hmm. The civilization closest to the Blight, and it also borders the land of the Isle Waste, is mm -hmm. known as Shinar. And here we've got, like, a total struggle of survival. So their banner is this black swooping hawk. And then on the background of the banner, it's three blue stripes and two white stripes. And the current king is King Isar Togita which mm -hmm. he's said to have the heart of a poet, and he really does. I love when he shows up in the books. And mm -hmm. I had said earlier the winters are so cold that the trees burst. And then this is also, like, contrasted by, like, the sweltering, unnatural heat of the blight. So we're talking yeah. in, like, extremes here. Mm -hmm. Very much so. So the cities themselves and the architecture and the layout of Shinar is pretty cool. Uh, mm -hmm. These castles, like these, I don't want to say castles, these fortresses are anything but castles. They, there's nothing beautiful about them because everything in the city is planned with only one thing in mind, and that's defense. Mm -hmm. So... Mm -hmm. They put their fortresses on high grounds and then 
they clear the entire radius of like pretty much as far out as you can see. They clear it so that there are no obstacles in the way. So there is nowhere to hide. And that's Mm -hmm. what you want. Like when Mm -hmm. you have something like Merdral that's able to like sneak in the shadows, you do not want any obstacle. So this is why I think like if they had fallen, you know, kingdoms or cities, like they, mm-hmm. I feel like they would just level it, like take everything yeah. that they could to make sure that there is nowhere to hide and mm-hmm. either, you know, rebuild if they can. And if they can't just wipe it out, like, clear mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So the city of Faldara has a lot of tall towers and perimeters mm-hmm. and like walls to keep lookouts. And you'll see this throughout Shinar. Faldara also has a dry moat with like these like brutal spikes coming out of the ground. Like they're embedded. I love in. that detail. <laughs> I, know I love you that do. detail. <laughs> Ugh. The capital is Falmorin, but mm-hmm. there are cities like Faldara, which are said to hold like more spirit of the land. Mm-hmm. And it's because mm-hmm. they're on this blight border. And I really love the descriptions of the homes in Faldara because they have these, like, extremely pitched roofs. Mm -hmm. And if you look at, like, a lot of the, like, a lot of the traditional, like, alpine homes, like, here in Germany Mm -hmm. or just, you know, Switzerland, like, they have these same pitched roofs where Mm -hmm. the roof almost touches the ground and they do this because the snow you don't want it to like pile up you want like everything to be able to like drain off side down yeah Yeah. and there's also like really really cool architecture styles like examples of this in some of the like traditional japanese like folk villages and mm. the one that I found was called Hida Takeyama in Japan. Mm-hmm. And, like, these houses are very, very, like, alpine in design with these same roofs that go down. So when I think of Faldara, like, I think of these, like, Japanese homes. It's a pity that we didn't get to see some of this in the TV show because mm. I was really looking forward to it. But Faldara was pretty cool, so... I liked it. I felt yeah. like it was very true to the book. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. It was simplistic. It was a fortress. It looked like it was there to defend. It was right in front of Tarwin's Gap. Mwah. I, I actually wanted to say something. I'm glad that you mentioned that Faldara is not the capital because I just assumed that it was. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was like... I figured it out when I realized that their king isn't Lord Agalmar. In Faldara. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't even think about it. And I mean, all of the other ones, like all of the other borderland nations, their capitals, I believe, are in, they're like right on the edge of the blight. Like all of them. For the most part, I think you're you're correct there. A lot of Mm -hmm. them are close. Yeah. So I can see why that would be thought of as the capital. Like, I don't feel dumb for thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just glad that you mentioned it. That's cool. Uh, 
where was I? So the next thing I wanted to talk about is just kind of like their warrior culture. And just because the struggle of survival impacts like their entire life, all aspects of life. Yes. A Shinaran's weapons are always close at hand. So we've seen this in the Great Hunt where Lord Agamar is kind of like walking through the keep and there are weapons hung on walls everywhere so that at a moment's notice, like you just grab what's there and go. And And you probably know how to use it. Oh, yeah. It it won't even matter what it is. Right. They'll be like, yes, I can. An axe, got it. Mm -hmm. Mace, Sure thing. Yeah, and they yeah. even store weapons next to their bed. So, like, they're ready, you know. Or in their tea room. Or in their you tea know. room. Everywhere. It's decorative and defensive. Mm-hmm. Love it. One of the things that I did not know this was new information for me is that in Shinar, you're buried naked without a coffin mm-hmm. or a shroud. And this is said to contrast, like, the heavy clothing and armor that they wear in life. Oh. So they are being welcomed into the earth as they are, like, being, having that last embrace of the mother. And Mm -hmm. I wondered, is it possible, like, that in this case, like, the last embrace of the mother, is that, like a metaphor for earth that is unmolested by the blight because you would think that that would be such a important thing in your survival like having ground that isn't tainted I guess Mm -hmm. and what better way to be buried is on like your not only your soil like i'm not talking about like in a nationalistic sense but like Mm-mm. soil that is life-giving as opposed yeah, to what's in the blight and exactly maybe like Ooh, i love that is this like maybe that's the mother like not death but like life like the ground i mm. love that i think you're on to something thanks yeah, I really I really like that. I've always liked the the Shinaran burial custom. It it feels so much more authentic of a goodbye mm-hmm. than a lot of the things. I mean, in particular, I'm I'm thinking of like western culture where we like embalm and put makeup and like uh, it just yeah. becomes like yeah, it just becomes this weird it feels so I, I unnatural. Know. Yeah. I mean, speaking as someone who has gone to, like, funerals for people who were very close to me, it's it's a bizarre experience to do something like that. And this just feels – I don't know. I think if this had been done for the people I loved, I it might have been more comforting Yeah, in some ways. And there's – I mean, there's also, like, a poetry to it. It's mm-hmm. – you know, it's – it feels kind of like calming in a way where mm-hmm. there's, I don't know, there's like almost a positive side to it. And yeah. I just had a thought. Tell me. So, okay. So uh, it's the last embrace of the mother. Is that what they say? Okay. So I'm thinking of the first embrace of the mother. Like, when you have your child and they 
hand this naked, bloody, mucus, weird covered, tiny human in your arms, like for the very first time, naked and Mm -hmm. being held. And so like how beautiful to mimic that first moment of human touch and intimacy and that's a really replicated at the Tracy. end of their lives i love that i'm thinking i'm of course thinking about my about my babies but yeah like i think that's why i like it so much mm-hmm. is it feels it feels intimate and welcoming and that is not always the way that life and death are viewed is like this end of a dream, this embrace of a mother, and this coming home. So I like that a lot. You're gonna me make too. Me Way to go! <laughs> I'm sorry. You just brought up such a good question. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you did because this section, like that ritual, has always hit my heart every time I've read it. So I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it. All right, let's move to the Shinaran cavalry. They are referred to as lancers because they carry lances, and they are imaginative. Yeah, they are debatably (laughs) like the best mounted warriors of all nations in the Westland. So that's some bragging rights. I feel like no kidding, right? I love how they talk about their their like bowed legs and the way that they walk and whatnot. Like you can tell that that they're Saldaeans. Isn't that the Saldaeans? It might be for bowed. Okay. I mean, it would make sense, but maybe you're right. I do get them confused quite a bit. (laughs) Imagine that. I got something confused. (laughs) So there are a couple of things that are mentioned as like their greatest values. The -hmm. first one would be peace because their lives are consumed with the war against the shadow. Peace never really comes to Shinar. So it's something that is to be valued and mm-hmm. any moment where there isn't fighting is the greatest of value. And yeah. then beauty is the next one because they live with this constant encroachment of the blight, which basically symbolizes like everything that is ugly in the world. So yes. when they are mentioned about like having the hearts of poets or something like mm-hmm. that. You think of, I just picture like these old leaders like wizened and battle hardened, like holding a delicate mm-hmm. flower and being able to say like, this is the beauty of the world. Like this yes. is to be cherished because yes. they know. Every little petal, yeah. every, every bit of pollen, everything mm-hmm. deserves appreciation. The simplest of things can and are beautiful can you tell i love the borderlands (laughs) just a little bit just a tiny little bit i just love it so much and it's so true like i think that's something that like you learn as you you go through life is that it's not always about the big things it's about every little moment because at any given moment it may not be there for you to appreciate and the Borderlanders live, like, up close and hard with that, especially in Shinar, I feel. Sorry, I WD'd, yeah. my, I WD-40'd my chair and nothing. It's still squeaky as ever, <laughs> and I can't get comfortable. Okay. That's all right. So what yeah. editing is for. Mm. 
the last that more comfortable yeah the last okay, greatest great. value that they place is life because yeah all people of shinar are sworn to death and at any moment death is a certainty that will come yep. it's not about a matter of when like it it will happen to everyone mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's just so dangerous to live there so they really put a lot of value on living. And I think mm-hmm. that's, you know, it, it sounds obvious, but yeah. But but there's definitely a different intention mm-hmm. and feel to what comes across to us through the borderlands. Yeah. And then, like, they also have, like, this immense, like, quality of life. And they I put... I love this. They put all their, all their like heart into it, and it's upheld with like the utmost honor. And I'm not talking about riches, but the honor of just having one more day of living. Yep. And, ugh, yeah, love it. Okay. Love it. So let's talk about appearance. The men wear top knots. Where it's like a, you know, like think like man bun kind of. But that's what I was gonna say. But shave everything around it mostly, <laughs> and that's uh-huh. what it looks like. Yeah, they carry. It's it's not uncommon to see a Shinaran man carrying three weapons at all times, and uh-huh. what they will do is have two long swords strapped to the back, and then attached to the waist, they'll have another broad sword, maybe or an axe. So, like, these guys are Mm. just (laughs) (laughs) walking tanks. Yeah. So their armor is a combination of leather, chain mail, plate, and a surcoat. And then that surcoat will always have the Black Hawk insignia, depending Mm. on, you know, who you are, I guess I should say. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, Yeah. like, that's – I don't want to take too much more time to – talk about yeah Shinar but I love them they're my favorite of the borderland nations they're just cool yeah definitely I think they're probably the most fleshed out of the borderlands except for possibly Saldea and it's simply because we have so much from them like I I feel like I don't have quite as much for like Arafel which is where we're going to next I did just want to make a small note about Lady Amelisa in Faldara with her ladies reading a romance novel and giggling like little girls and drumming their heels on the floor. And the fact that like their private lives, their sense of enjoyment is there for everyone. Even like the restrained nobility embrace this. And it's just... (sighs) Yeah. I enjoy it. Like any any it. moment of respite from fighting and whatnot is to be enjoyed to the fullest. So, yeah, tea Perfect. time. That's tea time with yeah. the girls. It's a celebration. Bring out the Harlequin romance novels. <laughs> is that a thing? Was it? A, is that the right one? Do we need to start writing, Tracy? I think we do. <laughs> I mean, what's another project? I think we do. Crying out loud. I think we do. I actually, I actually have a topic. I think you're gonna love. We're gonna move over to Arafel yes. 
And I love the saying that you picked out because I think it's another, it's just, again, so much. The dancing is sweeter on the edge of a sword. So good. What? What are what is up with these people and why do I want to be one? <laughs> Live in the most dangerous place other than the waste? Yeah. Yeah, I'll go there apparently. So Arafel is located north of Tarvalin, kind of like how we said before, between Candor Candor and Shinar. And their capital city is Shoal Arbella, which is like when you look at the little map, it's up in very, very close to the Blight. So again, like one of those places that's like on the front lines of defense. And in this case, their king does live there or their monarch, whoever it happens to be. The sigil for this is a red rose and a white rose known as the roses. And in my head, all I hear is the Tudor roses. So just in case you don't know, the Arafelin sigil looks very, very similar to Tudor Roses. I looked it up and, yeah, <laughs> makes me confirmed. giggle when things like that happen. Confirmed, confirmed. So their appearance, there I couldn't really find like a whole lot about like clothing, mm-hmm. what kinds of clothing they wore. But for Arafelins, they frequently will wear bells in their hair and have it braided. And I've seen a few different drawings of how people see this. And I know we see it with um, Alana, I believe in the TV show. And I like how they did it because it looked like the braiding was very different than what I had expected, but it's still there. And then isn't, the law. Isn't Le- is Leandrin? She. I don't think. Think no, she's. Which country has the tiny strands of braids? Terabon, Tanchico. I feel like that's her background. Terabon, yes, yes. Okay, yeah. That's With all the, like the multitudes the of yes of braids. Yeah, yeah. And I mean that's that's I like that we have these various forms of braided hair for women and men in the series because that is something that is found culturally in our world and has different indicators for where you belong and where you come from so using something like this I just think is really creative and clever and I love the idea of having bells like I think in in the wiki it says something about how like they jingled merrily or something and I was like how how sweet does that sound and at the same time I'd probably be like god just cut my hair off I can't handle it anymore you know what though like that is actually you would think at first like it would be really bad like defensively like to be able to hear someone coming but yes that would mean yes that if you see something moving and you don't hear noises that's when you're in trouble like if you see shadows Ooh. and they're silent and they're not they're not yeah, jingling like that's not oh. a, that's not someone's shadow like that's a merge all kill it i'm i'm glad that you mentioned that because when i was writing this last night i was thinking about how silly it seemed to put yeah bells on yourself (laughs) when you're probably going to be fighting something but putting it that way and I mean you would know 
like someone running towards mm-hmm. you, if their bells are jingling, yeah. that's your it's ally. Like and if the guy sense, behind yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, how interesting. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. So in the Borderlands, there's a law that hoods and face coverings must all be like taken down or removed, whatever you're anywhere, especially inside a walled city. And Arafel has kind of dodged this for fashion (laughs) because the women have, right? The women have decided that it's veils are the fashion of the day, if you will. And they can wear them, but they have to be either transparent or made of lace and their eyes cannot be covered so that they can prove that they have eyes which is important when you live in the light. So those were the things that I picked up as far as like fashion, clothing, cultural identifiers. Their economy, uh, most noted export, fire drops. My favorite. I love this. It seems like the perfect export for a place like Arafel where they're like this. What is it? Is it like jewelry? Okay. The gems? Okay. Yeah, they're they're gems. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. So the fire drops are gems, and we frequently see them on nobility, and it's commented on because of their beauty and rarity. So it's one of, like, this is one of those exports from this place that likes to dance on knife's edges or whatever, <laughs> fire drops. We export fire drops. Um, They do have some gold mines and silver mines, but these are not big money makers for them. And their major exports are furs and timber. uh, And I wrote down killing and logging. (laughs) So a bunch of air fell in. Lumberjacks. I bet the Ogier aren't big air fell in fans. Probably not. (laughs) Probably not. So... As far as, like, a cultural norm, they're extremely touchy and prone to dueling in order to settle disagreements or soothe someone's pride. Uh, the challenge to the person who is challenged is allowed to choose how the duel goes down. And sometimes this becomes a very silly thing. My favorite reading was that it was uh, to fight in a darkened room. <laughs> because, I mean, why not? Or two men like they're both on horseback with bows. This is the duel. I don't. Okay. Uh, women consider duels improper and would not participate in this particular practice. And if they did, they were not going to tell anyone that they had done so. So this actually does, does, did, does. Sneaky, sneaky. Right. But they usually just passed over fighting with swords and would choose daggers, bows, lances, and whips. <laughs> oh, Amazon I Prime, don't please give us a whip fight. <laughs> I wonder if we can put it in like... A pe- petition. Not, that would be a spoiler, so I'm not going to say it. Right? But I was like, Do, is this a fight to a death? Fight to the injured? Fight? What happens? Like... Please tell me they didn't fight to the death with a whip. That sounds terrible. These like, and women sound whips. Pretty deadly behind closed doors, anyways. Not messing around. 
Right? But they're not going to tell you about it. They just pretend right. like all of that's happening over there, somewhere else. They would never do that. So their government is a monarchy. Up until recently, gender did not determine who could rule. This has changed, and I kind of have to wonder if it has something to do with the fact that uh, their current king is Pedar Nachiman. And his sister, Kairuna, and she is Aes Sedai of the Green mm-hmm. Aja. And I have to wonder, I don't think, I don't think Pater has any descendants. And so she would be next in line for the throne. And I'm wondering if they've changed the gender to just being male so they can exclude the idea of having an Aes Sedai hmm. as a ruler. Probably for many of the reasons that we've talked about in the past. But I didn't dig into it too hard. That's just my wondering if that's why it's been done and the only other thing about the the government monarchy set up for them is that the queen is expected to step in when and if something happens to the king but there are also only matters that the queen addresses okay okay weird weird stuff but not so unusual that it doesn't make sense with like what's known of nobility pretty much anywhere everywhere so yeah, that's that's all I have for Arafel. I liked it. Thank you, thank you. Should we move to Candor? I mean, if it's as fun as Arafel, sure. Why not? <laughs> it's not as lengthy, but okay. The location I mean, of Candor funny. is between Arafel and Saldea, again on the Blight border, mm-hmm. and their sigil is this rearing red horse. Mm-hmm. And their banner is the red horse with a green background, and their capital is Chachin. Mm-hmm. And if you remember, this is a New Spring location. I do remember. Yes. <laughs> so the capital city sits at the crossroads of many trade routes. And again, like what I was saying earlier about the location, like you've got Tarvalin like coming up with these branches towards the borderlands. And Mm -hmm. then Chachin would be like this big like trade hub. Mm -hmm. So I think they have the most impressive given architecture that we can find in the books of a borderland Mm -hmm. city. If you look up Chachin online i think in the new spring comics or whatever there's images of like Mm -hmm. what it's to be imagined to look like and Mm -hmm. it is awesome it's very cool it's very cool so yeah there's three massive rings that surround the city and i mean this obviously makes it very heavily defended and mm-hmm. within the center is the Idashar Palace, which, new spring. <laughs> mm-hmm. Always. It's, yeah, it sits on top of this mountain, like 5,000 feet in the air, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. And if you want to know more about that, just go listen to our new spring episodes. So yeah, they've got like this pretty, pretty cool... How do I want to say this? So, like, the since the Idashar Palace is in the middle, they've got this ring that goes around mm-hmm. it. So this outer ring has, I think, 24 bridges 
leading mm-hmm. to the Idashar Palace. And each one of these bridges has like a bridge tower. So yeah. like it's super impressive. Super impressive. And I think like this is one of the reasons why I'm like, oh, I want to see New Spring in the Wheel of Time TV show. Because I right? want to see stuff like this. Yes. Yeah, same. Do it, Amazon. Don't be a coward. <laughs> we dare you. We dare you. We triple dog dare you. Yeah. Um, so as far as their economy goes, despite being really close to the blight, Candor has like this really respected merchants guild and mm. they excel in trade. So mm. the Candori men were these kind of goofy forked beards, which <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that, but why not? <laughs> and the merchants, like you can usually tell who they are because they're wearing these three one to three silver chains across their coats and the men will wear earrings and the merchants have like these really ostentatious flashy earrings and that's kind of something that sets them apart and the nobility the current queen is I want to say ethanyl Kosaru, Nora Nora Maga, so, or Ethanil, perhaps, Um, Mm -hmm. but she shows up in the series quite a bit for a nation that is mostly in the background. I mean, like, she pops up here and there, and I think she's a cool character, some, I, I don't know. I don't want to get too far into it because spoilers. Yeah. We'll talk about that later. Right. So I'll leave that there and we can cool. move to Saldea. Nice. So in Saldea, which is our next borderland nation, uh, the saying, oh no, this is from a poem. My heart rises with the sun to the chime of swords. I die at sunset. It's another good one. It's another good one. The Chime of Swords? What? Okay. So they are located furthest to the west. They're the largest of the Borderland nations, and they only share a border with Kandor. So as far as, like, Borderland nations go, and then they're bordered by the ocean furthest to the left. They're – or west. (laughs) They're not the same thing. Road to Tarvalin. I know, right? (laughs) I was just going to say, I think I just gave away why we never get where we're supposed to be going to. Um, I think right and west, left. You know what? I'm done. I'm done. Let's move on to sigils. Sigil. So they have three silver fish. They're all lined vertically. I think it's in the center of the flag with like a blue background. And it's a bit ironic that they've chosen these fish because they don't really have anything that resembles a real port or have numerous fishing villages. So maybe they just liked showing off that they were the only borderland nation that had access to the ocean. Yeah, like I feel like that's bragging rights, right? Is it? We could go to the ocean if we wanted Right? It's right there, guys. Maybe they were just big fans of alliteration, and Saldean Silverfish kind of rolls off the tongue. (laughs) 
<laughs> it does sound a bit like a uh, t-ball team. Yeah, it does, really. <laughs> I like it. Okay. Um, appearance and culture for Saldeans. They're generally said to have Bold, prominent noses and slightly upturned almond-shaped eyes. Um, men like to wear long mustaches, which always make me want to do like that pull twirl thing mm-hmm. across my face. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Gender norms of Saldea are a bit different than they are in other places in the Westlands. It sure took at least one of our characters quite a while to figure out what another character wanted. Yeah. No spoilers. Mm -hmm. So women expect the men to be stronger than they are. Uh, The catch being the women already consider themselves formidable and fierce, and they are not wrong. Uh, So whoever she chooses to marry has to be able to, like, stand toe-to-toe with her and sometimes even kind of like Be shout her down. Yeah. 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 Like they don't they don't want somebody that they can overpower. So at the very least, I think that they have to be equal. So men propose marriage, but women will be the ones to say the yes or no, and their decision is the one that is ultimately the one that is gone with. I don't quite know how I feel about the expectation of being pursued. Like, apparently that was the expectation or is the expectation mm-hmm. is that men would, like, hardcore pursue their intended, the women or the woman that they wanted to be with until they more or less capitulate and say, sure, I'll marry you. But in Saldea, that's a good thing. So there's that. Wives of nobles were expected to go on campaign with their husbands. And really, it's funny that it's an expectation because it's like you couldn't stop them if you wanted to. Yeah, yeah. I actually really like that about the Saldeans, though. Like, yeah. She the the wife is never like I'm staying at home. It's like, oh, like you will find me on the fanciest horse right yep. outside of camp watching helping my husband, and yep. we're doing this together. Like, she might yep. not ride into war, but, but she's, she's not there. staying at home. Yeah, and she's not far off because in the event that something happens to her husband, she is expected to step in and take over for him. And women in Saldea, especially the nobility, are trained in, like, battle? Log- battle logistics, maybe? yes. Yeah, yeah, and I mean that comes it, up later yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean they're they're very unique group of women in the Westlands, I feel. Like we have other women who are fierce, but they aren't necessarily like a whole nation of them, if they if you will. Like these women are expected to be strong and fierce and they're like, "Okay, you got it. You got yeah. it." Like they're not supposed to go to the blight. Like, the wives, like, when their husbands go to the blight, they're supposed to stay home. They're like, yeah, right, no. So a lot of the women will still even follow their husbands into the blight so they can be with them. Like, I guess they probably just don't want to miss out on any good trollic killing would be my guess. <laughs> but Maybe they're just like me and they want to see some critters. 
Yeah, it's like out there with their their telescopes. They forgot Tomorrow. to check out what their husband. <laughs> right. Their binoculars. <laughs> yes, yes. So for them, their economy is timber, finished woods, furs, and ice peppers, which are only grown in Saldea and it's not it doesn't have anything to do with like proprietary rights or anything it's just that it's the only place that this particular strain of Hmm. peppers will grow Hmm. they're apparently very picky about climate Hmm. and soil composition and Saldea is perfect well maybe it's like (laughs) a combination of so they're they're closest to the sea so they've mm-hmm. got like an oceanic climate mm-hmm. it probably doesn't freeze as much there because they're close to the water that's a possibility and then they've probably got the heat from the blight so maybe those so does that mean that if the blight disappeared one day maybe the ice peppers would no longer grow Ooh, i don't know I wonder what kind of impact it would have on the environment all the way along the the borderlands, really. Yeah. Like, is it possible to reverse the damage that's been done by the blight? Like, hmm. Is it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, but I am interested. Government, they are a monarchy, but not gender-based. It's bloodline and age that play major roles in determining inheritance of the throne, the spouse of the monarch is not considered like a consort, but a co-ruler with equal power and prestige. Mm-hmm. And they, I, I don't know if any of the other Borderlands nation, Borderland nations have this, but in Saldea there is a council of lords that advises the king and queen, but they don't necessarily determine what the king or queen will end up doing they're just there to advise so yeah that's all i have for saldea saldea silverfish yeah yeah go team go so (laughs) a few words and then spoilers yeah all right words i want to know what your few words are no, actually, they're spoilers, so no words. <laughs> no words. No, <laughs> no words. words. Just, Just spoilers. spoilers. Just kidding. <laughs> Momentary interruption, friends. Since we are not good at remembering to promote ourselves during the show, here's how you can keep the road to Tarvalin growing. First off, rate and review us wherever you listen to The Road to Tarvalin. This helps new listeners find the podcast. Listener support is available through Anchor. You can contribute as little as a dollar a month with amounts leading up to a generous $9.99 a month. Also, we have a new merch shop. Cozy Contorta was inspired by the books and characters we love, and it's not just Wheel of Time focused. Go check it out at Cozy Contorta on Instagram or find the link on our website via social media. Income means better equipment more content, and more opportunities to be able to grow our amazing community. We love you all and feel endlessly grateful to each of our listeners for joining us week after week on the road to Tarvalon. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Okay, so I went in and started picking out people from Arafel that I really liked. I like Alana. 
I'm not going to get into her too much just because, like, I feel like people probably have a good handle on Alana, more or less. I uh, hate Alana. <laughs> well, I can't in stand the, her. In the books, I don't like her nearly as much as I like her in the TV show. Oh, but yeah. Either TV way, show Alana. She's great. So good. Book Alana. But she gets, I feel like she gets enough time right now and I mean at some point I'd love to do more about Alana but I kind of want to wait and see more of her in the show and see where that goes too because I feel like we're getting a different observation of her character and who she is through the TV show and I'm enjoying it so much more (laughs) so Samitsu Tamagawa is of the Yellow Aja she is from Arafel she is one of the best healers she is the the sister who offered to have Damar Flynn's, Damar Flynn's baby if he showed her how to do the healing that he had done for Rand that basically, like, saved his life. She's not one to mess around with. In fact, she almost goes out of her way, it seems like, to browbeat Nynaeve when they're in Saladar. And, like, nobody really does that to Nynaeve but Samitsu was like you're gonna show me stuff and I'm gonna break your block and off we go like so a little bit of an acknowledgement for her mm-hmm. yeah I didn't realize that Narishma Jahar Narishma was from Arafel and I really like getting into small side characters like this because sometimes really they like show Narishma up too I hadn't realized that he was the same person that I was thinking of through the whole thing. Like, I knew who the Ashaman was, but I didn't have a name for him each time because that's just how my my brain works. And when I was, like, writing all these things down together, I was like, it's this guy. I like this guy. Like, he's found very young. Taim finds him young and brings him to the Black Tower for training. He's part of Rand's rescue at Dumai's Wells. And I think he's estimated to be like maybe 23 at the time that this happened. So still a fairly young man. Young. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, He becomes one of the most trusted male channelers in Rand's circle, which that has its its pros and cons. (laughs) He is tasked with being or with bringing Rand Kalendor which he has had at tier like yeah that's one of the really like that's a really strong plot line i feel like like for rand to trust someone that much like it yep. means something that's how i felt too that's a lot of power to potentially hand off to another person who's not you so the fact that he was like, Narishma, go do this, and trusted him to bring it back to him and not use it for his own power grab is, it's kind of incredible. Rand's mm-hmm. not really in his right ma- mind a lot of the time, but he was solid on trusting Narishma, and good job, Rand. So in tear after the cleansing of Sidene, uh, Narishma's hanging out, waiting for Rand to kind of recover, and he is practicing the sword as much as he can because, you know, why not? And lands there, 
and he keeps challenging Lan to duels, <laughs> and Lan keeps like spanking him, like you're not winning, guy. And it's so, but I mean, he keeps coming back for more. And I have this feeling of Lan training Rand, and just like this young man, like looking to learn from a legend. That's yeah, and it's like a form, like a like a a borderland legend. Exactly. Exactly. So, like, I can just see like Lan thinking of him like like he's just a pup, you know, like someone like on his heels that won't leave him alone, like a little kid like following after the big brother, like I want to do what you can do. I want to do what you can do. Yes. And it's just really sweet. Do you think at all that Narishma might remind Lan of Rain? Because he's Arafelin? You're right. It could be. It could be. Like maybe maybe it's a bit of a sting in some ways. Yeah, like... I could see that where, yeah, Lan probably wouldn't want someone like that around just because. Mm, I don't want to say that it's like showing that emotion would be. Land book land does not like to show emotion. Let me put it that yeah. way. Yeah. So yes, I can yeah. see it being like a sting to him. Like mm-hmm. that might hurt him and he might not be comfortable showing that hurt. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe Narishma is the key to Lan unpacking a lot of grief. It's it a possibility. could be. It could be. I mean is this, I mean, this is the thing, too. Like, we couldn't, I couldn't get into all of Malkier. Right. Because, like, huge spoilers for Eye of the World, and I yeah. wanted to avoid that. <laughs> yeah. But Lan's backstory is just so tragic, and Malkier, like, we could do a whole Malkier episode, probably. Yeah, we could. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I like, I like that you brought in Narishma. He, I felt like I, I feel like so often we get these big characters, but we don't really like narrow in on individual nations and people mm-hmm. from those nations. So I thought it might be kind of fun to do that. And the mm-hmm. last one that I want to mention is Sumi, Sumiko mm-hmm. Karstovan. And the reason why is she's a member of the kin. She was. She wanted to channel. She mm, could channel. Yeah. She went yeah. to the tower. She made it through as a novice and accepted, and she had a nervous breakdown during her test for the shawl, and the white tower booted her. And so she found her way to the kin and became a member and kept actually practicing with channeling and healing, even though she was not supposed to. And then later on, when Elaine and the kin are figuring all their stuff out, Sumiko's like, you know what? This is great that you guys want to do this, but I still want to be Yellow Aja. And so she plans on going back to the tower and asking them if they will let her take the test for the shawl again. At, and at, point, at 350 at years 350 old. years old, exactly! Oh, I that mean... Just, that makes my heart, like... So happy. I don't know. I love that. So those those were my era felons that I I decided to like kind of highlight a little bit. I do have just a couple Saldeans if if we want to do those. 
I think really the only Saldean I want to give like a little shout out to because there really are a lot of them because it's one, a very large nation in the Westlands and two, Saldea plays a really big role in really the whole series, far more than some of the other Borderland nations do. But my favorite Saldean is probably Davram Bashir's wife, Dira, I believe is how you say her name. Dira Nigaline T. Bashir. And I pulled this quote from her. I mean, okay, before you say it. Yeah. <laughs> before you say it, like, the, the Bashir women get a lot of hate. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying that, like, the smacking thing is okay. I, I don't believe that at all. Like, in right. real life, like, just no. But, I mean... Talk about entertainment. Like, wow. Right? (laughs) Wow. They're like, they're a very extreme Mm -hmm. version of femininity. Yeah. I I don't, of something. I don't really, yeah. Like, I don't really know how else to, I mean, I'm sure if I thought about it. It's like their version of femininity. There you go. I can't speak, so there you go. Femininity. Femininity. Yep, mm -hmm, it's that. But, okay, I think perhaps this is another one of Jordan's attempts to represent empowered women, if that makes sense. Women who can and do behave in ways that we would normally attribute solely to men in most social structures. So maybe he's like pushing to see what that would look like. And that's where the Saldeans come from, Saldean women in particular. So tell me the quote. Okay. I returned from my ride to find two strange men ransacking our tent. They drew daggers, so naturally I hit one of them with a chair and stabbed the other. (laughs) Naturally. I mean... And if I I, remember... Go ahead. I just can't wait. I can't (laughs) wait to get the whole Bashir family. Like... Right? I want them all. I... I'm really curious to see what they will change, like, like right. if they will try to make it more palatable, mm-hmm. which I would understand. Mm-hmm. And I also think that if you kind of if you kind of take away the whole like smacking hitting thing, mm-hmm. like what's left is is still a very strong like cool character. You know yeah, what I mean? Like it doesn't I've, take away to. I feel like it doesn't change their character wholly. No, if anything, I think it gives them more and a layer of power. Like if you can if you can use your if you can use your words instead of force to get your way, isn't that's that... exactly what I was just gonna say, Tracy? Maybe Yay! they will just like up the intelligence where it's yeah. like it's a contest of wills, right? Like we can be deadly, like like in this case where 
uh, Dira sees someone in her tent, she kills them. Like, mm-hmm. they can still show something like this and say, like, Absolutely. look, like, this is not someone you want to mess with. Mm-hmm. But they could also show, like, when it comes to her relationship with Davram, she could outsmart him or she could Mm -hmm. outplay him she could know how Mm -hmm. his mind works so well that she's always a step ahead of him and that carries on through the things that Fael does because it yes up to a certain point I mean her and Perrin have a very troublesome relationship but that's a nice way of putting it yes (laughs) but there is there are moments where you know, like, Fayil puts herself dutifully, like, in harm's way because she cares about Perrin. Mm-hmm. And she's just that fierce. Yeah. Now, I know why some, I know some people don't like Fayil. I get it. I'm not trying to change any minds here. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that she could be a really delightful character on the TV show. I'm hoping, I'm really hoping. But I mean as their relationship grows and they start to see eye to eye a little bit better and understand each other's cultures better. Mm-hmm. I do think that like Fael's retrieving of the horn and like bringing it back for the last battle could be something of her own hero's journey where in the Mm. books it's kind of like she's struggling you know what i mean like yeah it just feels like she's tumbling down a mountainside and like ends up like yeah at the last battle and all hell is breaking loose but like i don't know like I don't think they're i don't think they're gonna go through with the whole long drawn out kidnapping like it could be a two episode event. So yeah. like I feel like I want to see Fayil like get her get her storyline, like get some get something that she deserves out of it, I guess. I agree. I agree because I mean I think we were both thinking about this in the in the non-spoiler section where Fayil is running the camp for the army slash yeah. armies yeah. you know like Perrin doesn't know how to do that he hasn't no. been raised no. to do anything <laughs> like that no clue no nope. clue he barely wants the men who are swearing oaths in his name like yeah like he barely wants those people to be doing that like mm-hmm. he would rather be hanging out in his shirt sleeves with a pipe playing cards and not worrying about mm-hmm. all of the stuff that's happening. And I understand. I don't know if I would want to be in his situation either. Yeah. I think he's very fortunate to have Fayil at at that point. He needed her to, like, pull him up in some ways. To, like, get him past mm-hmm. that concern of hurting everyone and being too rough like he Mm -hmm. needed to be pulled past that and i think that i think she did that for him i think she really helped build something super solid for him because 
of the way she was expected mm-hmm. to partake in life as a Saldean woman. So I find yeah, it, I find it really intriguing. It also comes into play after the Battle of Emmons Field and the Shadow Rising where mm-hmm. like their village is destroyed and yep. everyone's coming to you know, Lord Golden Eyes himself for the answers, mm-hmm. and Perrin just doesn't want to do like any of it. Mm-mm. And if it weren't for Fael, I mean, everyone's coming to Perrin with their problems, and he's like, yep. just putting it all on Fael, kind of. Maybe not putting it all on her, but it, it starts getting like deferred to her. Mm-hmm. And it's because of her background, her Saldean background, yeah. of this noble woman where she's like got it under control she might not want to do it she might not think that it's her job to do but what she does is always coming to the issues from an intelligent point of view i guess she's smart she is yeah i i like fail i don't always like her but, I mean, I think that's one of the, the best things about Jordan's writing. I don't have to always like them. Yeah. They aren't always likable. You can, you and can love human. and hate any character you want. It's so, it, I'm on board Unless for all of that. Lan Mandragoran, in that case. <laughs> you can shut your filthy face. <laughs> okay. <sighs> okay, so I think that's about all I had for, like, kind of favorite favorite mm-hmm. people things what do you have okay i wanted to talk about the quote that we used to open the podcast episode with uh-huh. from towers of midnight that prologue mm-hmm. i just i i can't get it out of my head after rereading it I mean, this is probably the fourth time I've gone back and reread just this part of the prologue because I love it so much. I think that they could have a whole masterclass example made of just this small portion of the prologue because Mm -hmm. we are introduced to new characters that are complete strangers to the reader and within minutes for me I'm just hanging on every word so if I recap it just a little bit so people kind of know what I'm talking about it's a man Melanarin and his son Keemlin so Melanarin is a Kandori guy he's in the one of the fortresses Mm -hmm. and Situated in the borderlands are these towers that they have on like high altitude with mirrors. So they'll mm-hmm. flash and that's for signals. And mm-hmm. they see a flash from another tower and they're thinking, okay, is this a warning? Was this mm-hmm. something false? Was this an accident? And we know because all of the things in towers of midnight start to come rushing at the reader and you know like okay like Tarman Guidance here like it's yep. the next book like it's the yep. end of the story mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you know like 
deep down, like, it can't be anything good, right? No, no. <laughs> and Melanarin is like, we need to send out writers. And he looks at, like, the list of who's, I guess, like, in the pool for that day of yeah. writing messages to the other towns, other cities, other nations in the borderlands as a warning. And the boy, I think his name is, oh, Tyeen, maybe? Doesn't matter. He, his son, Keemlin, is supposed to ride this message off. Keemlin shows up. And Melanarin is like, what are you doing here? You're supposed to send the message on horseback. Like, you should be gone. And he's like, well, so-and-so's mom has already last, lost four sons, and he's five stones lighter than me. He'll be faster on a horse. He can ride longer. He should go in my place. Mm-hmm. And Melanarin, like, has a moment where he's like, my son... I know your name day is coming up, but you're already a man. And they have this, like, really touching borderland Kandori tradition where he's, like, named a man in front of all of the guards on this tower. And mm-hmm. as this is going on, like, Merdral are dropping down. And <laughs> all of these men on this tower know they're all going to die. And it's like one of these moments where it just like, it's such a gut, like gut punch and ugh. But the way that it's written is absolutely masterful. I don't Mm -hmm. know any of these people, but I am immediately like just hanging on every last word and crying and these men are cheering and there's thunder Mm -hmm. and it's just great. I would mm. recommend I would recommend this chapter to anyone. That's how much I love it. And the thing is too is I don't know how much of this chapter was Robert Jordan's notes and how much of it was Brandon Sanderson because I have read both authors and I feel like maybe this might have been like something in Robert Jordan's notes, but then mm-hmm. I can also like distinctly hear at some points of just how it's written I'm like I kind of feel like maybe that's Brandon Sanderson there I don't know Mm. I would love Mm. to know more about this but it's just it's such a really good chapter and when I was thinking about the Borderlands in general like I knew I wanted to talk about it and had to just put my two cents in because I really loved that part I'm so glad you did thanks thanks there was only Oh, I love it. No, I was just going to say, I really love when you, like, super get into something like this. It's <laughs> it's always fun. Thanks. There was yeah. only other one part that really stood out to me. And again, Towers of Midnight, it was the, the meeting between all the Borderland leaders and farmatting. Yeah. Because, for one, this is the chapter where... Oh my gosh, this book is just so good. Can I get there already? (laughs) Um, (laughs) We will, we will. It's where basically like 
Catswain. Rand steps up to Catswain, and that's where he tells her, you may call me Rand to die. And it's from that point on where he's like, Catswain, like, I know, like, you see me as a boy, but I'm older than you. Like, I have lived yep. longer than you. Like, you're going to have to yep. give this up at some point. Mm-hmm. And they all meet on <laughs> farm matting, and each leader of the Borderlands, like, slaps him across the face. And yeah, they do. when it first happened, I was totally confused what was going on. I was like, I, I don't get it. Like, why would the Borderlanders do this? Like, this just feels really petty. Like, something's wrong here. And I couldn't put my finger on it. And then when it's revealed that, like, the Borderland men have their own prophecy, mm-hmm. and this was a part of it. It was a test. Mm-hmm. And I love the interaction between Rand and Cadswain because – She's, like, scared at this point. She's, like, he wants her to hold a gateway just in case. And mm-hmm. she's, like, I can't and I can't hold a gateway and farm matting, you fool. And he's, like, I know about your paralysis net jewelry. <laughs> I know it holds a well. I'm, I think he says maybe something like I made one of them myself or something like that. Or I yeah. had one myself. Yeah, and Cadsway like just kind of goes, like, blank face like oh shit Mm -hmm. (laughs) damn it how does he know yeah and the moment that they kind of like get like on this like elevated part of land he sees like this huge army and they have like a 20 soldier escort and they bring him up and Cad Swain's like, you need to respond with strength, you know, like these are borderlanders and that's what they'll, you know, that's what mm-hmm. they'll kind of like feel like is necessary, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then like they see like thousands of these borderland soldiers and I'm like, I'm getting hype, you know, I'm like, oh shit, here it comes, <laughs> something's gonna happen. And it's like two men and two women accompanied by a big group of Aes Sedai, and it's Queen Ethanel, or Ethanile, however you want to say it, which is the same queen from New Spring. Yep. So the one whose is that husband and son die mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the Idashar Palace. And then it's Pedar Nachima, and that was the one that you had talked about earlier from... Arafel. And what's hilarious about that is Cadswain thinks he's handsome. And <laughs> Min is like, he's old. Like, he looks old. And Cadswain's like, <laughs> she's drawn to him because he's the one that's, like, supposed to have, I think, I don't I don't remember, but he's, like, gray-haired. And she's like, he's, he's not, not too bad, yeah? Not too shabby over there. Yeah. And then King Isar of Shinar and Queen Tenobia is there and Cad Swain's like she's reckless she's a wildfire so like everyone's on high alert and Min is getting these readings of each one of the rulers and she's like you know Ethanil is I see something like impatience above her or something she's gonna do something dangerous mm-hmm. and Ethanil walks up and just backhands like ran slaps right across the face and each leader walks up and does the same thing. And then Pater walks up and just like, oh, my heart. He like wipes the blood from Rand's 
I think, lip or cheek. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And just at that moment when I think like, oh, God, it's over, he backhands Rand and hits him so hard that like he just like spits blood out everywhere. And I'm like, oh, my God, what is happening? So (laughs) such a cool part, though, because like Peter talks and he's like, I need you to answer this question for me. And what was it? I think he asks, how did Telendal Tirasu, I don't even know how to say the name, how did this woman die? Who is mm-hmm. she? And Rand's like, she was a clerk in the Age of Legends, and she died because of Demandred's army killed her in a lightning strike. And then they're all like, the dragon reborn is here (laughs) and like this moment brings the entire borderland armies to the last battle so like this is the linchpin moment and it all was like hanging on the fact that if it would have happened a few days earlier rand would have responded with violence yeah and yep that would have been that and Oh, I don't know. I felt like this was just a really, like, cool farewell to the Borderlands because obviously I could talk about them for three more hours and (laughs) the relevance of their armies and what happens in Tarwin's Gap and what happens in the last battle. But I almost feel like that's a situation where you just need to go back and read the books. Mm Mm-hmm. But this is Or we need to have another episode. Yeah. Battles in Borderlanders. Yeah. But this is the moment that kind of, like, <laughs> starts it. Like, this is, I feel like this is the start of Tarman Gaiden, like, Rand securing the Borderland army. I think oh. it was really, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, at the very end, Rand asked to see a man named Huron. Yeah. To apologize. And I'm like, oh, tears again. So, yeah, that was that, it. That is a moment that, like, I can't even think about without, like... Right? Getting a little, a little misty-eyed. Oh, my God. Dear Huron, I love you so much. I wanted to say what I find really intriguing about the Borderlanders when they're going through that whole slapping ritual with Rand mm-hmm. is that this isn't an opportunity for Rand to show strength. They know he's strong. This mm-hmm. is an opportunity for him to show that he has a layer of humility as well. Mm-hmm. And so I think this was necessary for him to go through, for yeah. him to have had like these these blocks kind of cleared out for him before he enters the last battle. And like you said, this like clinches it for him. This gives him soldiers and a guard that is ready and willing to die to the man and work together to make everyone as safe as possible because that's what they've been doing for centuries. Like, not getting their support would have been devastating. Although, what what would they have done differently except not fight for him? Like, I think they still would have held back the blight as much as they could have. Their prophecy was if he responded with the wrong answer or he did the wrong thing, they were to kill him right then and there. 
Oh. And that's why they met oh, in Farmatic. So that he can't channel. He can't channel. I mean, he does end up saying like, yeah, I can't channel here, but I don't need to use channeling for Balefire, I guess. So like you would have been SOL on that aspect. Interesting. Or I don't or something about like how Balefire isn't blocked in formatting. I don't remember. I would have to reread that whole chapter, but there's some twist to it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But Pater, like, he he had the sword ready and like it's coming from Min's point of view. So like she's, you know, like worried, very worried. And Cad Swain too. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, at the end, Cad Swain is, like, looking at him prideful. And I'm like, it's such a moment. But that's all I got. We can I, we can wrap I, it up. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah? That's, yeah? that's it for everything? All the spoilers and all of the stuffs? All the spoilers, all the stuffs. Oh, I love that. I do think that um, having a battle Borderland episode might be really fun to do at some point in the future. Because it would be one that I think I would need time to research mm-hmm. a bit more. There are just a lot of people and names and whatnot. Like like you said, there's a lot we could talk about as far as the Borderlands are concerned. But I think for today, I... We'll wrap it up yeah. and yeah, we'll, we'll come back to it maybe another time. I love that. I love that. And do we know what we're doing for next week, or is that going to be a surprise? Um, it'll be a surprise. Surprise! <laughs> Come back next week. Surprise! surprise a surprise, surprise topic. I love that. Thanks so much for joining us. We will continue to release new episodes every Wednesday. We would love if you would subscribe to the podcast, leave us reviews, and share us with your friends in the Wheel of Time community. Let us know what you thought of our content. Correct us. Send us things we may have missed. You can find links to our email and social media accounts in the show notes. And if you have the Anchor app, leave a voice message for us to play in upcoming episodes. We also have a website where you can find links to our Discord channel, social media platforms, and merch shop. So until next week, thanks for joining us on the road to Tarvalin.